0: Good morning, saints. Well, we are indeed in a sermon series on the glory of God. We began in Nigeria with this title slide. Last week, we talked about knowing God, and we shifted down to Brazil. This morning, I take you to Kazakhstan to focus on the attribute that really is the sum of God's beauty And his excellence. Like a jeweler, we are inspecting the multifaceted brilliance and beauty of God himself. It is my solemn task this morning to point each of us to gaze upon the crown jewel of God's attributes. The holiness of God. Though it is often considered an attribute or a character trait of God, it is more properly understood to be the sum of all that comprises his brilliance and his beauty. When we speak to the holiness of God, we are saying that God is set apart, that he is other than, that he is a cut above Do you remember the bewildered voice of the disciples when Jesus quieted the winds and the wave, the storm at sea? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Literally, what manner of man is this? Throughout their time with Jesus, they had no category to put him in. He was born of a virgin. He schooled the religious leaders when he was 12 years old in the temple. He had power over nature. He never sinned. And he made the most outrageous claims. Saints, so it is with God. We do our very best to describe and to understand Him. But honestly, how do our feeble minds and this weak preacher capture adequately the true and the full essence of the glory of God? There is no category for Him. He exceeds all categories he has no rival no equal all of his attributes that we ascribe to him in the superlative we do so in the superlative because nothing no one compares to him so a good starting point for us today would be the passage in isaiah that amy read earlier in the service It's a well-known passage, and perhaps the first one that we think about when we talk about the holiness of God. The angels crying out to one another, declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now this passage does not just suddenly appear. There is a very specific context In which it occurred. Isaiah was no ordinary prophet. And King Uzziah was no ordinary king. You might recall that this vision took place in the year that King Uzziah died. So let's begin with Isaiah. The Old Testament prophets were not people who thought they would just enjoy a life of being a prophet. They didn't just walk into the office and apply for the job. It was a notoriously difficult job full of controversy. Every single one of them was called by God to the ministry that they engaged in. Some prophets such as Jeremiah recoiled at the thought. It was not an easy and it certainly was not a popular job. Now, Isaiah was a little bit different than the rest of the uh, prophets. His family heritage was one of nobility. He had access to royalty. That's important to keep in mind when, when considering this vision that he had of God. Now, King Uzziah, generally speaking, he was a good king. King Uzziah served or he reigned for over 50 years. He was a righteous king. He implemented righteous deeds. Unfortunately, he didn't finish well. He became very proud towards the end of his reign. The Lord struck him with leprosy and he lived out his final days secluded away from everyone else. Nevertheless, when he died, there was great mourning in the land. That is why Isaiah 6, and we'll flash the passage again as I'm talking. That is why Isaiah 6 begins by saying that in the year King Uzziah died, when he died, I saw the Lord. He was surely in the temple processing what had just happened along with everyone else in the land. But that's also where Isaiah was commissioned by God To be a prophet. That vision had purpose for Isaiah. He would have many hardships in his ministry. He would have to stand up for righteousness and call rulers out. So God gave him exactly what he needed when he called him into ministry. He gave him a clear vision of himself. That vision served him well. We understand that ultimately Isaiah, at the end of his life, was stuffed into a hollow tree trunk and sawed in two. His death was not pretty. And his life was not easy. What was Isaiah given in that vision? He was given an overwhelming vision of God's holiness nowhere else in scripture is anything about god repeated in this way holy 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 it is true that isaiah would stand before rulers and kings but on this occasion he would stand before the king of the universe he was immediately overwhelmed with conviction of his own mortality and his own sin. He was given a powerful vision to remind him that no, nothing and no one on earth even compares to the power and the grandeur of God himself. Truly, as scripture says, the fear of man proves to be a snare. Now contemplating the holiness of God is an antidote to what I consider to be a great vice within the modern American church, particularly within evangelicals. We are often far too casual in our approach to God. Many of us, have grown up within the church singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, and that is a beautiful truth to affirm young people in. But my pastor would always say that if we're not careful, we can inoculate our kids against the truth of who God is. Our overall disposition towards the Lord is that we can be far too comfortable and familiar and casual Understanding the nearness of God and the love of God is such a beautiful and comforting truth. But it only makes sense when we fully understand first who it is that we're actually dealing with. It is for that reason that our starting point in speaking specifically about who God is. We must never be too casual When we talk about him, we must never take for granted the grace and the mercy and the love that has been shown to us. As we saw last week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of God. Let us celebrate and be thankful for the full access that we have to God through Christ. Let us rejoice and cherish the fact that Jesus is indeed a friend of sinners. What a wonderful truth that God is near, that God is close to the brokenhearted. God is approachable. He wants us to walk closely with him. But we only truly appreciate the richness and the beauty of this when we first have at least a basic understanding of the holiness of God. Let's take a look at a very specific example of the holiness of God in the Old Testament. There's a very interesting, very arresting account in Leviticus chapter 10 that warrants our attention it involves the son of the sons of aaron aaron was moses brother nadab and abihu let's read leviticus chapter 10 beginning in verse 1 Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized or strange fire before the Lord, which God had not commanded them to do. Verse 2, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near to me, I will be sanctified. I will be set apart as holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron Held his peace. Did you catch that? These are the sons of Aaron. We don't know the exact details. But we know that they did something that they were not commanded to do in the presence of God. As they ministered at the altar, they themselves were killed by God on the spot. Notice carefully what it says. They offered strange, unauthorized fire. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. It's a clear declaration of judgment that took place in this moment. But notice verse 3. I will be sanctified. I will be set apart as holy. You simply cannot come to me casually and offer worship that I don't require of you. You cannot make up your own rules. I am God. What a jarring passage to read. From the very beginning, God has set a precedent. You cannot come to me on your own terms. Truthfully, we see the very same concept in the beginning of the Christian church in Acts chapter 5. You might recall Ananias and Sapphira who withheld money from the collection of the saints for themselves. They were both struck dead in the presence of the apostles. The clear message to us from the very beginning is for us to see that God is holy and we do not deal with him Casually or on our own terms. Now that we're thinking clearly about God, that He is holy and set apart, let's see how the concept of God's holiness permeates every page in your Bible. My pastor would often call the Bible God's unfolding drama of redemption. Beginning in Genesis chapter 3, the entire Bible is one big story of God redeeming people and creation all the way through the book of Revelation. I propose to you this morning that we cannot properly understand the redemption story if we do not understand the holiness of of God. Conversely, if we view redemption through the lens of God's holiness, everything becomes absolutely crystal clear. We can see that the holiness of God is a touch point all throughout the Bible. Not long ago, we took a few months to answer the question, why did Jesus die? So let's ask a different question this morning. Why is the holiness of God so important? Think about a few points here. Why did God send the flood in Genesis chapter 6? Because God is holy. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? Because God is holy. God has the right to tell us on his own terms what is right and what is wrong. Why did Jesus come to us in the incarnation? It's easily answered when we understand the holiness of God. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because God is holy. Because sin is real and sin has consequences. God cannot... Forever coexist with sin because God is holy. Why is Jesus coming again? Because God is holy. Judgment is assured. The Bible teaches that when Jesus returns, there will be judgment. So many religions and philosophies teach us that God could simply choose to forgive our sins, to snap his fingers. That could be merciful. Maybe he just pretends it never happened. It might sound loving and kind and merciful, but listen, it would not be just. The holiness of God would be violated. And that is clear all throughout Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 85. Psalm 85 I Just like to show you verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Steadfast love, kindness, mercy, goodness. And God's faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. This is indeed a beautiful picture of the cross, ultimately. What comes together at Calvary is Jesus becoming sin on my behalf. So that I might become the righteousness of God in him. It is the basis of my forgiveness. God's holiness is upheld. The holiness of God and the story of redemption is woven so beautifully all throughout scripture. The agony of the death of Jesus, literally our word excruciating comes from that sense of from the cross The pain that is experienced in crucifixion, in the cross. Listen to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite God being the one who inhabits eternity, who is holy, holy, holy. He dwells with that one, which is contrite and lowly in spirit. I love seeing how holy God dwells with us. Psalm 47 verse 8 says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. His throne is holy because it's his throne. Now let me take you to the end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Verse 8. Where the angels once again cry out, and day and night they never cease to say, It never stops. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That is the angelic declaration. But it gets bigger. In chapter 5 look at the end of Revelation chapter 5 and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever They're ascribing glory. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Remember saints, it is not the angels who sing the song of the redeemed. It is only we who do that. The angels declare the holiness of God. God so infinitely hates sin that he instantly sent all of the angels that fell in chains of eternal darkness and refused to be reconciled with those fallen angels. But we, our song, is the song of the redeemed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Saints, when you consider God's holiness and perfection, listen to me. Do you despair at your own sinfulness and failures? It's so easy to see God in his perfection and feel ruined over the depth of our own sin. We don't need to be reminded of our sins. We know them full well. Or even comparing ourselves to others. But as we talk about the holiness of God, I want you to see a clearer picture of the beauty of Christ, of the beauty of the cross, and what that means for us. In the 1640s, a preacher by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs preached to the holiness and to the excellency of the Lord. He said, You have heard that the glory of God is His holiness. Now, one part of his holiness is his faithfulness in fulfilling his promises to his people. Therefore, as it concerns God, as he loves his own glory, to be faithful in fulfilling his promises. And God looks at, at it is as his own glory to do so. Your comforts are dear to you. But God's glory is dearer to him even than your soul or your eternal state can be to you. The top of God's glory is his holiness and his holiness is intrinsically intertwined with his faithfulness to his promises to you and to me. So as we consider the holiness of God, as we consider How set apart he is in every way. We perceive as well the love of God. We perceive our Savior who suffered on a cross for us. To reconcile us to God. And that God is faithful to his promise. Whosoever believes has eternal life. And though you are very conscious, perhaps of your weaknesses, Jeremiah continues, Jeremiah burrows. let this comfort you. You do not have to deal with God in yourself, but through Christ and in him, you have liberty to come. You may look upon God's face with boldness. This is the great mystery of godliness revealed in the gospel. That notwithstanding the infiniteness of God's holiness. There is a way for us polluted creatures to look upon this God with joy. This mystery is only taught in the gospel. My friend if you are not acquainted with. He concluded, if you are not acquainted with God in this way of reconciliation, you will be undone forever. Know the simplicity of the gospel and make use of Christ that the glory of God's holiness may not be your terror, but your comfort. That is the beauty of the gospel. God who is infinitely holy we take joy in seeing him because we know that we are fully reconciled to him. We know that we are fully safe in Christ. Even though we are born again and saved, we need to be reminded that God not only accepts us in Christ, but he is actively at work in our lives to work holiness into us and it doesn't look the same for each of us we know that so don't compare yourself to other people the holy spirit even in his title the holy spirit transforms us from one degree of glory to another in this life and it is said of him 1 corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 after listing A number of sins. He says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That is, you were set apart, made holy. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Saints, my purpose this morning is to present to each of us the holiness of God. We are not to take God lightly. We are not to be too casual, too comfort, too comfortable, if you will, with him. But we know that in the cross, we have been made right with him. And we can boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need. If you're like me, that's all the time. Two questions to to ponder. In light of the holiness of God, what we've discussed, ask yourself, am I too casual with God? Do I take for granted his holiness, his kindness, his worship, I'm sorry, his grace and his mercy? What I mean by that is, is your worship and service to God, is it kind of at the bottom of the list? You have other important things to take to, to tend to every day and maybe you'll get to that one. My friends, he's worthy of our very best. Do you take advantage of your strong standing with God and come boldly to his throne of grace in your time of need? perhaps the most exhilarating aspect of the Christian life is that we know we have not yet arrived. We know that we fall short. We know that we fail. We know that we have weaknesses. But God accepts us freely in Christ. And he beckons us to come to him. To come boldly to his throne of grace in our time of need. Saints, our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, is the most beautiful thing. I'd like to leave you just with a personal story. We're talking about Kazakhstan this morning. So I take you back to 2011. This was the first time that I taught at the Bible Institute in Almaty. Right there in the middle, let's see, next to the one in purple in the front, her name is Maria. She was one of my students. Maria is from Kazakhstan. And she would go on to marry a brother by the name of Anton from Belarus. Now, the two of them together, they're a beautiful couple. And something that sticks out to me about each of them personally is their reverence for God. Desiring to do their very best to serve the Lord, even if it entails hardship. Anton has trained for a number of years now to be a missionary pilot. In fact... They literally just completed a 20-day vision tour in Papua New Guinea in which they were putting his skills to use. If you go back that that previous picture, uh, this is a sister here who had terrible complications after her delivery. And so he was able to be the one that flew into a a remote area. Next picture is that sister in the plane. And give her the medical attention that she so desperately needed. And show, and thus show the love of Christ. Now there's something else you need to know. You might recognize the name Papua New Guinea. It's the opposite side of the same island that Joyce Lynn served in. Anton met Joyce years ago. At a little convention of missionary pilots. He was training to be one. And she obviously was one. And he told me that the one who inspired him the most. Was Joyce. Because he saw a clear picture. In her life and in her story. That God is worthy. Of our very best. Now. The next slide is a picture. It's an adorable family. Um, This is their family now. They demonstrate in so many ways, not just the end picture of hoping to serve as a missionary pilot in Papua New Guinea, but their very lives, they're all about the holiness of God, that He's worthy of our best. I realize that very few of us, if any, are going to be a missionary pilot but I just want to say this. In the mundane. In the little and in the big things. God is worthy. Of our very best. Let's give it to him. Would you bow and prepare your hearts for prayer. I requested that hymn before the sermon. Holy, holy, holy. Because few Songs to that degree just point me to the holiness of God. We've sung about the holiness of God. We've talked about the holiness of God. The balancing act on my end is instilling that reverence for God, but also keeping in mind the love of Christ that has been shown to us. When you clearly see the holiness of God, you see the beauty of the love of God. The mercy of God, the kindness of God. We think of our Savior on the cross. The unkind words, the insults that were hurled at him. The weight of his own cross, which really was ours, that... Under which he would collapse. The lashes, the agony. Saints, he did that for you and he did that for me. My simple prayer this morning is you consider this one aspect, as if you will, of who God is. That you will be inspired and assured by the love that God has for you. But that also you will be Resolved to give him nothing less than excellence because he's worthy of it. All of this that we've spoken to is centered around the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That indeed Christ came. Christ took our sins upon himself. He suffered and he died. He was buried and he rose again. Faith is not simply looking at that and saying, well, that's nice. Faith is, number one, believing that is true. But faith is also entrusting yourself completely and wholeheartedly to Jesus. Believing that he died and rose again on your behalf if you have never come to the place where you bow the knee and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Heavenly Father, thank you for this new day. Thank you for the Bible truth that Your mercies are true, are new every single morning. What is past is past. It is behind us. Today we pray that you would encourage us. That you would help us. That you would refresh us. That you would give us the strength that we need this day. To live our lives set apart for you. Comfort us. Speak gently to us. Remind us who we are in you. So that as we serve you, we're not doing so on fumes. But rather from the energy, the encouragement of our time with you and with one another. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Holy God reconciled to sinful people. We give you thanks today and we give you praise. In Jesus name, amen.